Good morning. morning. The Christmas season is upon us, and I figured I would start off this year's Christmas series by explaining how my thinking about Christmas has changed over the last couple of decades, because it has. Um, There has been an evolution in my thinking when it comes to Christmas these last 20 years or so, and I use the word evolution because I think I think it happened slowly rather than like one particular thing I learned one particular year. Um, So I can remember back when I was 19 years old and 20 years old, uh, and I remember not liking Christmas. I remember just, you know, Christmas come around. And it wasn't, if, if the word Christmas means the birth of Christ then that was not what I had the problem with. Because at that point, when I was 19 or 20, I'd been a Christian for six or seven years at that point. So I was all for the birth of Christ. But I mean the holiday that we call Christmas. This time of year would come along. Maybe some of you are in the same boat. Um, or, you know, just, I just, there was, you know, the lights and the songs and the parades and all the stuff. And I just, ew, I was a Grinch about it every time. Every, like whenever this time of year came around, I was just like, I hate this time of year. I hate Christmas. Um, and I remember why. I remember why I felt that way. It was because of my religious views. When I was in my early 20s, I remember thinking that Christmas was the celebration of the birth of Christ, or at least it had the potential to be this beautiful celebration about the birth of Christ. And and I looked around and it seemed to me it was just being polluted by the world. And so I just looked and I would just be like, oh, Christmas, like it has this great potential to be about Jesus. And then I look all around and it's just being watered down by Santa and Frosty and all I want for Christmas is you and Dominic the donkey. And... (laughs) And I just, and I hate it every year. However, over the last 20 years, my view on that has changed. And I think what happened is in the meantime, I have become aware that the people who are in charge of the society that I live in don't love Jesus. Okay, they don't. Almost everybody that's in charge of everything. You go, what do I mean by the people in charge? I mean all of the people that are in charge of everything, whether we're talking about scholarship, academia, Hollywood, entertainment, government, politics. Basically, everyone who is in charge of anything has rejected Jesus, with the exception of fast food chicken, okay? (laughs) We still have that. Amen. Amen. So now that I am older and I realize how non-Christian the culture I live in is, I guess what I'm saying is when I was younger, I guess I thought that we lived in sort of a Christian-ish culture. So I looked around and went, wow, we are doing this wrong in December. Well, now that I realize how non-Christian the culture I live in is, oh, I am happy that once a year there is a holiday where the vestiges of Christianity are still seen and heard in the mainstream culture. The teachings of Jesus have an entrance. They have a highway. They have a tentacle. Like in the larger culture this time of year, so much so that you can hear about Jesus this month, like outside of church, it's acceptable. You can walk through the mall and see a bunch of things that do not please God. While over the loudspeakers, Celine Dion or Josh Groban are saying, oh, holy night, the night when Christ was born. The, the, the message of Jesus is being proclaimed while we are practicing our rampant greed and materialism. And I am thrilled, okay? I, I am not thrilled about the rampant greed and materialism. I think as Christians, we need to be careful about that this time of year. But the message of Jesus being proclaimed all over the place, oh, I am thrilled about that. And I do not know how long that will last, but I'm going to cooperate with it for as long as it lasts. So, for that reason... We preach about Christmas here at Good News Church every December. There is no rule in the Bible that says you have to, okay? But we do. We preach it every single December. 
But I will let you know this, the downside to preaching on Christmas every single December, well, if you're the pastor of the same church for a long period of time, (laughs) the downside to preaching on Christmas every December is that it's hard to come up with new things to say. It's hard to say different things than you said the year before and then say things that you said the different year before that. And this is now my 12th Christmas at Good News Church. So, thank you. So here's the plan for this year. Last year, we covered some of the more traditional accounts of Christmas in Matthew and Luke. In fact, several of the verses that were just shown, we covered those last year during our Christmas series. So this year, the plan is to learn three Bible passages that are technically about Christmas. Okay? We're going to learn three portions of Scripture that are about Jesus coming from heaven to earth to save us. None of them were written to be Christmas passages. They are not the typical nativity or birth of Christ passages, and yet every single one of them is about Jesus coming from there to here and becoming one of us. And so um, this morning's passage is Philippians chapter 2. If you have a Bible with you, you can turn to Philippians chapter 2. I'm going to read to you verses 5 through 11. And I'll start by just reading the whole passage, and then we'll go back and explain it piece by piece. Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 5, says this. Make your own attitude that of Christ Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be used for his own advantage, Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a slave, taking on the likeness of men. And when he had come as a man in his external form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So the passage begins in, uh, like this, the the paragraph begins in verse five, make your own attitude that of Christ Jesus. So we'll start there. Make your own attitude that of Christ Jesus. Well, what, what did he do? What is he like? What are we talking about? Who, existing in the form of God, This is the way the Apostle Paul is is explaining these things to the Philippians. He says, Jesus was at some point, right, existing in the form of God. It seems, especially when you read the rest of the passage, what he's saying is there was a a different form later. I don't think he's saying that he ceased to be God, but that that there was form of a human that comes later on. But, But at some point prior to him being a human, he was what? God, right? Existing in the form of God, divinity, that that Jesus had deity, that Jesus was in heaven. And he existed in the form of God, and yet he did not consider equality with God as something to be used for his own advantage. So Jesus has what we would say is deity or divinity, right? He's God, but his godness is something he didn't think he needed to cling to. In fact, this passage is sometimes, if you have a different translation, sometimes instead of saying, did not consider equality with God as something to be used for his own advantage, sometimes it's translated more literally. Um, Did not consider equality with God as something to be grasped or as something to be held on to. But instead, verse 7, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a slave, taking on the likeness of men. So when it's set, back, can we, can we go back up to verse six real quick? So before he empties himself, it says, he did not consider equality with God as something to be used for his own advantage. I think this is telling this, the, the part of the story that's just before what we know of as the Christmas story. 
Jesus is in heaven not grasping onto the goodness that he is experiencing, and rather he comes, as the verses go along, and becomes a human being. That he did not hold on. Jesus, as best as I can tell from this passage and then from the rest of Scripture, Jesus, at some point, set aside the privileges of divinity for humanity. That, I mean, when you think about it, it says he existed in the form of God. If you're God, I don't know if you ever thought about this before, God gets to go wherever he wants, whenever he wants. God gets to say whatever he wants, whenever he wants. God gets to do whatever he wants. Jesus Christ in heaven existed in the form of God. Gets to do whatever he wants, say whatever he wants. That's, that's, that's him. And then there was a point where he, was, he went from that to being a baby in a manger where he does not get to go wherever he wants, whenever he wants, or say whatever he wants, or do whatever he wants, but is completely dependent on his mother, wrapped in cloths, sitting in a feeding trough. He did that. That he went from, as what I assume is the worship of angels, like Doug Davison described last week when he read those passages about heaven. He went from the worship of angels to however it is Mary and Joseph treated him. I'm not saying they mistreated him. I'm sure they were good parents. But it's not the same thing, right? I mean, there had to be some evening where Joseph rolls over to Mary and goes, like, let him cry it out. Like he's <laughs> he's going to have to sleep through the night eventually. Let's just let him cry it out, don't you think? Yeah, that had to happen. I mean, I don't know. Maybe not. I don't know Mary's personality. Maybe she walked in there and picked him up every single time. But even if she did, like, there's no way the way she treated him is the equivalent of the worship of angels. He stepped down to save us. He did not consider equality with God as something to be used for his own advantage. Okay, verse 6. Instead, he emptied himself. You see why it would be phrased that way when you think about what's happening here? He emptied himself by assuming the form of a slave taking on the likeness of men. That's the phrase I really want you to focus on. Taking on the likeness of men. That's Christmas. That's the Christmas story. It, when, when he had become as a man in his external form, when he went from, okay, I'm, I'm in the form of God, now human being. When he had come as a man in his external form, that's Christmas. We don't always read this verse as Christmas, like at Christmas time, as a Christmas verse. But that's definitely about Christmas. When, when God took on the likeness of men. That's talking about Jesus in the manger. And then the next verse says, he humbled himself. Now, going from God to baby is certainly humbling yourself. So Christmas is like this really obvious illustration of Jesus humbling himself. But that's not the only time he humbled himself. Jesus was humble not just as a baby. Jesus was humble as an adult man. And I would guess there are probably multiple stories in the Bible that illustrate this, but the one that really sticks out in my mind the most is that there was a time where Jesus, adult Jesus, humbled himself. And you may have heard the story. He humbled himself to the point that he got down on the ground and he washed Judas's feet. Have you ever thought about that? The passage doesn't say he washed Judas's feet. The passage says he washed the disciples' feet. 
Judas is one of the disciples. I assume he's there. And if you read the account, I think it's in John in particular, Jesus knew that Judas was going to betray him. I want you to think about this. The God who created everything, including Judas, got on the ground in the dirt and looked at the guy who was going to betray him that night and touched his toes. So he humbled himself is not an overstatement. It's not an exaggeration. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. So here I want to point out, I'm referring to Jesus' life here when I tell the story of Jesus washing the disciples' feet, because I think it's good for us to know that. That's why we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, to know about his life. But Philippians actually doesn't talk about that. Philippians just skips straight from Christmas to Good Friday, right? So, so the one verse is taking on the likeness of men, and when he had come as a man in his external form, and then it just jumps straight to, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. So Philippians describes Christmas, and that's just jumps straight to describing Good Friday. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. He died in our place so that we could be saved. And then the passage goes on, verse 9, it says, for this reason... For what reason? Well, because of what it just said. Because he died on the cross for our sins. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord, and this is one of the passages that says that Jesus is Lord. And it's an interesting passage because we can see from this passage that Jesus is different than God the Father, and yet we also see that he's equal with God. And I would say this is probably one of the many passages as to why we believe in the Trinity, that there is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. Because in this passage, we see Jesus is not the same thing as God the Father, Right? The passage says that God, and it seems to be referring to God the Father, highly exalted him, as if Jesus is a different person than God the Father. And then it ends not with just Jesus is Lord, but Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So a different person and yet the same God, like e equal to God. You can tell that because the passage says he existed in the form of God. The passage said he did not consider equality with God as something to be used to his own advantage. And the, the passage even ends with Jesus accepting worship. Is Jesus God? In this passage, he's not just accepting worship, he's accepting all worship. It says, every knee will bow, and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. Why? According to the passage, because he died on the cross for us. So, that is the theology of this passage. Jesus, equal to God, humbled himself and became a human being to die for us and save us, and he will be eternally exalted. That's our passage. Now, what do we do with that? Like, how do we apply that to our life? Well, one first and easy way to apply that to our life is just to believe it. Like, when you, when you look at a passage about the theology of Jesus Christ, we go, okay, okay, this is a place where Paul describes to us theology. He explains to us Jesus. So then what are we supposed to do with it? I mean, step one, this is a real easy application. You're supposed to believe it. Like, that's what you do with theological truths. You believe them. 
We believe that Jesus is equal to God, humbled himself, became a human being to die for us and save us, and he will be eternally exalted. But there's another application for this passage. Maybe lots of one, but there's another application for this passage that's found in this passage. And maybe you didn't catch it because it was in the first verse and I kind of skipped over it real fast. But I want you to notice, if you go back to the beginning of the paragraph, that the author of this passage, Paul, actually did not write this section of scripture only as a theology. It started off as a command, okay? Yes, this is a theology. This is a place where Paul explains, actually, sometimes people call it Christology, a theology of Christ, right? It is a section of theology, but, but it doesn't start off with a, hey, let me just give you some stuff you're supposed to believe, the whole paragraph started off with a command. What did he start off by saying before he got into any theology? He said, make your own attitude that of Christ Jesus. It wasn't just here's some stuff to believe. It started off with, I want you to do something differently than you're doing. Make your own attitude that of Christ Jesus. Well, how is our attitude supposed to be like Jesus' attitude? Well, he goes on, right? Our attitude is supposed to be like Jesus' attitude by not grasping on to your rights and your privileges, but humbling yourself like he did. Mario, how do you know that's the part that we're supposed to be like Jesus? I mean, there's a lot of words in there. Maybe it's the part about dying on the cross and being exalted forever. Like maybe when it says be like Jesus and then it says all that stuff about him, maybe it's like to sacrifice yourself and be exalted forever. Maybe that's the part, right? No, nope, that's not the part. And the way I know that when it says make your attitude that of Christ Jesus, the way I know that the part that he is talking about is the part about humbling yourself and laying aside your own interests for the sake of others, the way I know that is because that's the context. That's what he had just been talking about before this paragraph. The book of Philippians doesn't start there. There's, there's words before it. So let's go back and look at the two sentences that came just before he said, make your own attitude like Jesus, so we can know, well, what was he even talking about at the time? So let's put verses three and four up here. Paul had just said, do nothing out of rivalry or conceit, but in, what's the word? Humility. That's the topic here. That's what he's thinking about. Do nothing out of rivalry or conceit, but in humility, consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Make your own attitude that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be used for his own advantage. Oh, so the theology that's found in verses 6 through 11 is connected to the commands that were in the sentences just before it. That's right. Basically, Paul is saying in this passage, be humble. Consider others better than you. Look out for them, not just for you, because Christmas and Good Friday. Humble yourself because that's what Jesus did. So as we end this sermon, I figured I would tell you something that I recently shared with the middle school students and high school students of Redeemer Christian School. My kids go to a school here in town called Redeemer Christian School, and they do a retreat every year, uh, one for the middle school kids and one for the high school kids. And this particular year, like, like six weeks ago, I was asked to be the guest speaker. And so I came and preached to the middle school kids and the high school kids at that school. And I shared with them from Philippians chapter 2. I did not preach this sermon, okay, because this was six weeks ago. It was not Christmas time. I did not show up and do a Christmas sermon there because I wanted to get invited back. Um, <laughs> so I did not talk about Christmas, but I did talk about Philippians chapter 2. And I focused on this, this part in verse 3 
where it, right after it says, but in humility. Can I have the verse, um, Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. But in humility, this is the part I focused on with them, consider others as more important than yourselves. And I looked at that group of kids, and I said, there is going to be a tendency in you as you walk through your school campus, you're going to look at other kids, and you're going to put price tags on every kid in your school. Like metaphorical, right? In your head, price tags on every kid. And the kids that you think are cool or athletic or smart or good-looking or whatever, you're going to put a big price tag on them. Like they're very valuable. And you're going to tend to put, look at kids that you think are not very popular or not very cool or not very athletic or not very good-looking or whatever, and you're going to put a, a little price tag on them. Like they're not very valuable. And then you will walk around that campus and you will treat people based on the price tags you have put on them. And there will be other students that you will show respect to and deference toward. And there will be other ones that you ignore or even mistreat because of the value they don't have according to your price tags. And then I said to them, I said, you aren't qualified to evaluate the worthiness of other human beings. And rather, we must adopt God's policy on this. And what he's instructed us to do is to consider others as more important than ourselves. I remember back in my 20s hearing a pastor preach on this, and he said, you want to know what that means? That means you look at everybody and you put a price tag on them, and this is the, what you put on the price tag. Whatever you're worth, plus a little more. That's what consider others as more important than yourselves is, is that you put a price tag on everybody as whatever I think I'm worth, plus a little more. And the reason I'm sharing that same idea with you here today is because the urge to treat people the way I think is best, instead of considering others better than ourselves, doesn't go away on graduation day. The urge to treat people based on my prices rather than God's, it doesn't go away when you're 18 and you take that funny little hat and throw it in the air and then suddenly you just consider others better than yourselves for your whole life. That doesn't happen. The urge to treat people the way you think they ought to be valued continues into your 20s. It continues on into our 30s and our 40s and our 50s and our 60s and our 70s if God lets us live that long. You aren't qualified to assess the value of other human beings either. You're not that good. You're not that God. Only God could possibly do that. And so, this isn't just a middle school and high school issue. Right? There were people that came up to me when I spoke at Redeemer's retreat, and they said, good job, the kids really needed to hear that. And I, I bet you they did. <laughs> but I don't think we need to do, look at a situation like that and go like, they... We don't need to hear that. They need to hear that, right? It's good that you said that to the middle schoolers, that they are supposed to consider others better than themselves rather than treating people based on their own price tags. It's good that you told middle schoolers that because they're young and dumb, right? <laughs> what I'm saying is, I don't care how old you are here this morning. You might be 95 years old here this morning, but compared to God, you are young and dumb. None of us in this room are qualified to assess the value of other people by our own standards. Rather, we must do nothing out of rivalry or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. 
Make your, attitude, your own attitude that of Christ Jesus. Well, what did he do? Good question. Who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be used for his own advantage. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a slave, taking on the likeness of men. And when he had come as a man in his external form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. Consider others more important than you. Look out for them rather than always looking out for you. Why? Because Christmas and Good Friday. Let's pray. God, it is humbling to think about how huge you are and how much you humbled yourself and how tiny we are and how little we humble ourselves. And so we repent this morning. Um, as many of us as are willing, I pray. I, I hope that there are people in here amening in their heart and repenting to you right now. And I'm sorry for when I don't humble myself, when we look at what Jesus did. And so we thank you. We thank you for Christmas. We thank you, Jesus, for coming and being a baby and then a toddler and a kid and a teenager and a man for washing the feet of people who betrayed you and dying on a cross for people who rebelled against you and rising again, and saving us. I pray those of us who know you would, would worship you for that always. And those of us in this room who do not know you yet, I pray that they would begin to worship you always by faith. I pray that you would help us to be people who consider others better than ourselves and look not only to our own interests, but also to the interests of others. I pray for this holiday coming up, I pray you'd help us to not get wrapped up in the bad aspects of it, but I pray you would help us to take advantage of the good aspects of it and worship you throughout it. You are so worthy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.